Jayka, and this is the Keka, the premier cinema podcast for all you movie files out there. I'm James, I'm a creator from Michigan. I am one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast, and I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. But I'm not here alone. I'm Rachel, and I write for Films Fatale, and I'm very interested in world cinema and language as it interacts with cinema. Who else is here? Just me. I'm the last one, Andreas. I created Films Fatale. Also enjoy writing about cinema, all things, and uh, I've started to branch out into television, which I'm a little green with, so I'm going to try my best. Rachel, you came up with this topic this week, and uh, as we all know, podcast included, some things start really well, but it's all about sticking a landing, huh? That's right. I think an ending can make or break a movie. It can push it from a good movie to great, or it can drop the ratings into the toilet. So what kind of endings are we going to talk about this evening? James, did you have one? I'll start with an ending that where the film is actually confusing. And then the ending made it all worth it. And that is David Fincher's The Game. I actually haven't seen that. I don't know if I should listen to this. (laughs) Oh, yeah. For anybody going in, we've got a lot of spoilers coming up. So if you hear a movie that you don't want to be spoiled by, just skip ahead a few minutes. I, I won't spoil it. I'll just say this movie is full of twists and turns every which way. None of them making sense. And then once the ending happens, the ending's kind of ridiculous, but it ties everything in together and you're like, oh, this was genius. Like, it, it's just one of those things where it's just, it's almost like this puzzle box, but it doesn't make any sense. Even the ending doesn't make any sense, but it still works. And it's just one of those endings that left me like, wow, what just happened? Cool. I've heard of this. I don't know what happened, but I've heard of this where the game was one of the first feature films where he really got into his own rhythm and his own style. And I've heard that like the game puts like the the usual suspects and stuff like that to shame where it's like you think that's a switch around. There is this. And I've heard everything from it saves the movie, like you said, to the fact that it kills the movie. Like I've heard it's just so out there and I'm, I've been wondering for ages. So what I want to do is I want to do film rankings for each director that has made um, my wall of directors on films fatale and David Fitcher's one of them. So that's one of the remaining films of his that I've not seen. So I'm excited. Oh, I think you'll enjoy it. And Fincher, for me, has always had really strong endings. So I think that's a pretty strong recommendation coming from you. Yeah. It's funny because apparently his wife at the time told him to not do it. And it's not really a film that he's really that fond of in his filmography, which is kind of crazy because I'm like, oh, it's so good. And you're right. It does put The Usual Suspects to shame because The Usual Suspect kind of ended on a really weird like cop-out ending that was like, they made it seem like it's supposed to be this genius turnaround and it's like, oh, really? That's how it ends? To me, it's like you watch it once. This is the sign of a bad twist ending. You watch it once and it's like, wow, that was a great twist. But then you realize, wait, there is no second time to watch this. Whereas something like Mulholland Drive or um, something with like a strong twist ending or uh, Chinatown, it only enhances the experience each time you revisit it. To me, the usual suspects just dissipates after its ending so with that in mind does the game get stronger it strengthens the point which you don't really clearly understand until the end but i will say the main draw is it's the one ending i don't think anybody could guess i'm gonna try and hold you to that i'm gonna try and figure it out so you're saying you can rewatch this and it's only better because the ending saves it 
Yeah, because then it, it's like you kind of watch it from a different view because you there's an intention to what happens at the end, but just the way it's executed because it it goes all over the place and it's very elaborate in structure. Yeah, I don't know. It's really hard to describe without spoiling it, but I recommend it to anybody who likes you know those more complicated movies because what's pulled off by some of the characters is like next level. Like I have never seen this kind of thing accomplished in film ever. As far as like twist endings go, it's, it's probably one of the more ambitious ones, but yeah, like I said, it's one of those ones you can't guess. Like I was trying to figure out like, okay, what's going on? Like I kind of get it. And then there's certain things that happen. I'm like, okay, hold on. What's going on? And then the ending actually happens. And it's like, Oh wow. I wasn't expecting that. I'm going to have to check that out. I've been meaning to for a while. Yes. And uh, I know we toy around with the idea of follow-up podcasts where we uh, discuss the recommendations we've been given. I might like to do that with this. I'd like to follow up with you on this one. Otherwise, Rachel, do you have an ending which was good and saved the picture or was actually bad and actually ruined everything? I have a movie that is tied up all nicely with a perfect little bow at the end. So also good. But I'm not sure if it was a good ending or a bad ending. Ooh, interesting. And I'll let you explain. So have you guys seen 500 Days of Summer? Yes. I have not. I see where you're going with this. Yeah, the whole point of the movie is that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in a relationship with Zoe Deschanel. And they're together. They don't communicate well with each other. They break up. And that's not really a spoiler because they tell you that in the first few minutes of the movie. And it's read many different ways by people. You know, is is she in the wrong? Is he in the wrong? Is it somewhere in the middle? And there's a whole bunch of, like, alternate character interpretation. And at the ending, you're sort of led to believe that the Gordon Levitt character has moved on. And that he's ready to start over. But to me, it's sort of, is he going to repeat these mistakes again? Is Has he learned from the relationship? or? Is he just going to repeat that same pattern? It depends on how you've been taking the film and which character you think is more in the right. There are some pretty strong opinions about it. It's tough because I think both parties are susceptible to, I would argue, toxic behaviors. Mm -hmm. And something like Eternal Sunshine is similar, but it owns it and it recognizes that these people are imperfect and they will make the same mistakes. They actually acknowledge that. Whereas 500 yeah. Days of Summer, I feel like its ambiguity is nice, but it's also, I don't know how to phrase it, like enabling things that shouldn't necessarily do it. Or like in the case of a separation without spoiling, you're kind of forced to take sides by recognize the faults in both. I feel like at 500 Days, it's almost justifying. I don't know how to explain it better than that. Yeah, and I, I feel like the writers don't necessarily realize what they're implying when the writers of Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind do. They, they are fully aware. But this one, they kind of lose their message a little bit. So it's it's a neat ending, but I'm not sure if it says good a good thing or a bad thing about the movie. You know, I don't remember if I was reading this correctly. I, I was reading this one article. Doesn't Zoe Deschanel's character fall into the category of that really like awkwardly problematic manic pixie dream curl archetype? Yeah, she's basically yeah. the like stereotype. Outside of, it. of Natalie Portman and in, in Garden State, she's like the next highest level. Okay, of it, yeah. also or like Ramona Flowers and Scott Pilgrim because I, I remember reading an yeah. article where the person who actually came up with that kind of whole thing regrets it because it's actually like 
really bad if you in retrospect to a lot of these characters like these really are not characters these uh, these guys should be pining for like it's like almost self-destructive exactly and the guys never get the message and they never really change themselves they just kind of go after this impossible dream and think that's going to fix everything yeah it's it's a very gross overgeneralization as if it's like the fetishization of like what a girl should be rather than treating them like a human being mm-hmm. and especially in Ramona Flowers' case where her hair is like literally pink and she looks like well I know she's like based on like a like a graphic novel character but still like there are these yeah these dreamlike fantasies which not only are problematic to women, you know, it's these impossible ideas and archetypes, as you said, Rachel, but it's also problematic to men because it's like, you can have this or this is how things are. And that's that's not really how it is. It, like, I feel like if you pose, like, a great example is Eternal Sunshine, in, in my opinion, because uh, Clementine, to go back to that film, is flawed. And she owns it and she basically like she's literally a dream girl when, you know, Joel's mind is being erased. Like she's literally the the conjuring of a dream, nightmares and flaws included. And I like I don't even know if that was like directly trying to combat this idea, because I think uh, Eternal Sunshine came out either before or around the time that this idea really took off. But yeah, in the case of 500 Days of Summer, I get it. This is like from a perspective, but it's also not healthy. I feel like that ending, you know, if they were aware of what they were doing, that is a very good ending. It's saying you get stuck in this pattern over and over. But yes, if they weren't, then that's what's damaging. Well, I could be wrong, but isn't 500 Days in the title in brackets? Let me actually look this up. Oh, 500 uh, is in brackets and in days of summer. I could be wrong, but what that could mean is attribute those 500 days to anybody you want. And it's, yeah, the repetition that, that it's going to happen again. So I'm not sure, but I totally get what you mean that it's a sufficient ending, but it's also not as fully realized or uh, as it should be, or it doesn't own up to exactly what it should. In the rather twee time of 2009, it works perfectly though. Yeah, fair enough. I, I'm i going to go with a film that I was very underwhelmed by, and the ending at least makes it a tolerable revisit. And I know this is a bit of a hot take. Quentin Tarantino is one of my favorite directors of all time. When I see his films, like Inglourious Bastards, Django Unchained, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's almost like my Star Wars. I see it multiple times a weekend, and I see it with different audiences, different reactions. I saw a pre-screening of The Hateful Eight once, and I was good. Forever. I never needed to see it again. I found it to be a very substandard film by him. Hmm. And I feel like at the time, I liked it more than I have over time. Once I realized that the monologues just aren't as good as they usually are by him. A lot of the aesthetics are amazing, especially the late Ennio Morricone's score. And the cinematography, especially in that roadshow panoramic vision. All of that stuff was great, but his writing just wasn't i i feel like i've tried to revisit it in parts and i just find it insufferable especially at its length i feel like uh, again the monologues are just abysmal especially the iconic samuel l jackson one i don't need to say more outside of some sorry no sorry i just i just laugh because i know exactly what you're talking about and that whole thing is great oh great (laughs) great is, is 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 a way to put it i guess i personally find it just exploitational without any cause outside of I'm angering a racist homophobe, which you could do that easily without going into like 
a 10 minute long cinematic with all the bells and whistles, like just, just silly. Um, anyway, outside of some elements like Daisy Domergue being like amazing, I don't care for the film. However, I find the fact that it's a whodunit, essentially, it's kind of a whodunit set in like a John Wayne classic era of, of the Western. Whodunits usually either end well or they end poorly. And this is interesting because it's one that's not particularly great, but it ends better than it is. And just seeing how everything resolves, especially once again through Daisy Domergu and her storyline, which... I guess there's a twist. There's enough of a twist to say that it kind of reinvigorates what goes on in the rest of the film, which is a very patient film. And there's a specific moment of bonding, which humanizes characters that otherwise, again, just felt painfully annoying for however long. So I feel like the ending and it's like, whether it's the actual sequence or like the literal final minutes, which James, you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I feel like it adds some heart and it adds some, some depth to these people. I get it. They're hateful eight. They're not meant to be likable. They're meant to be not expendable, but like you're not upset as to who dies because you like them, but more so because they're interesting. I get that. It's still a good film, but it's not a great one. Uh, But I feel like the ending is the closest it got to being fully realized with maybe what Tarantino had in mind. Otherwise, I think it's kind of a wasted opportunity. Yeah, I think my big thing with it was I enjoyed it, but it was... It was kind of bordering on self-parody, and it was just Tarantino's greatest hits. You could see every single one of his films prior in that movie. Yeah. So yeah. it was like, you know, it, the single room setting. Okay, Reservoir Dogs. The nonlinear format, which is reminiscent of Pulp Fiction, but the way it was framed was actually how Jackie Brown did it. Yeah. I'd say the most characters the, almost felt like Kill Bill, where it's like each person yeah. is like of like their own different movie. Yeah, like just start like the, the Fox Force Five almost. Yeah. And yeah, I think the I think the winning part was, you know, the first time he actually had a film score completely composed and it was by Ennio Morricone. I was like, really? Like, this is the movie you did that with? And he became yeah. his, an Oscar bride for the first time. Yes, thank God. Before he passed away, he actually won an Oscar competitively, which thank God, because if he didn't, that'd be the greatest Oscar injustice. Tarantino like, oh, said definitely. it was the only thing he wanted out of the whole night was for Morricone to come home with one. Exactly. Uh, now, as it stands, Peter O'Toole not winning is still like the greatest of justice, but it would have been Ennio Morricone, who's like the greatest composer in all of in all of cinema. So still a great score, at least. And yeah, otherwise, that's it. Now, speaking of Tarantino, and this was a completely accidental segue, Rachel, for the second half, you post something a little bit revisionist, let's say, when it comes to films and their endings. So what is this workshop looking like? Okay, so we're each going to take a film that has a pretty terrible ending. And, or terrible in our own minds, maybe it works for you, that's okay. But we've decided we hate them, and so we are going to fix them. So, Andreas, which one did you bring in? Okay, so this one's actually very fresh in my mind. Like I said, I'm trying to visit each film by whoever made my wall of directors. And I'm not used to saying something like this. I adore... Martin Scorsese. And I only got around to The Color of Money for the first time like a few weeks ago. At first, I was feeling like, wow, this film is criminally underrated. I was like hooked into this. Like, the, you know, the, obviously the editing, 
of Thomas Schoonmacher was just blistering. And Paul Newman rightfully deserved his Oscar, which technically this is like a sequel to a film they did previously, The Hustler. And here he is, same role, well beyond his years now. Got that wisdom, got that anger that he's being replaced. Fantastic. Tom Cruise, young Tom Cruise. This is during his breakthrough years. Just like a complete brat in this film. So much arrogance. I love it. The, all of the uh, the high stakes, it's amazing. And right when it's like in the heart of its climax, it just ends. And it's like not like a satisfying ambiguity like No Country for Old Men where it's like the cycle of life and death just keeps happening. This one just felt like a cop-out. And it's like I'm rarely disappointed in the endings of Scorsese films. So I feel like this one just had to like just have the guts pick either side. Are you going with the new generation or the old? Because it's clear as day. I get what they were trying to say. Both guys are going to be conning each other forever. They're always going to be in each other's minds. But you're going to go through this entire thing of student versus teacher and who can outsmart one another. you got to pick a side. You have to just settle the score. You just have to own it. It's, it's not symbolic enough that it works. And now I see why it's not amongst like the films that people talk about the most when it comes to Martin Scorsese, because it just ends so poorly. So, like I said, pick either side, but instead of being my own cop-out, I'm going to go with, since they never made another film, not that they could, you know, prophesy this, but I'm going to go with, let's have Paul Newman's character lose. Let's have him just end there, it's finished, Tom Cruise got what he wants. And you know what that is? It's a metaphor for the gambling of life. You gamble, you con. Ultimately, you spent all of these years and you've conned yourself off of an enriched life. That's the way that I see it. It should have ended with that. Maybe have Tom Cruise just carrying on being the brat that he is, living, you know, living in luxury, and Paul Newman just accepting, you know what? I've lived a good time. I've lived a good life despite everything and what I've had to go through. That's it. I'm going to hang up my, my pool cue. That's it. And that's how The Color of Money should have ended. I have not seen it, but I guess I'll have to check it out. Yeah, Maybe I haven't with seen your it either, so I'll have instead. to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do, what's it called from Be Kind Rewind? The uh, the swading, where I'm just going to like fabric in my own ending. So it's going to be like just dramatic Tom Cruise or Paul Newman, and suddenly it's just my dumb face, just like doing the rest. Can I play Tom Cruise? <laughs> okay, sure. So I'm not by myself. There we go. You're <laughs> going to be Tom. I'm going to be Paul Newman. I'm going to be Mickey Blue Eyes, except my eyes are green. We're going to do this. So <laughs> let, let's let's act it out. Uh, Rachel, though, what since uh, that's already been determined, what's your ending that you've created for a film that should have ended better? Okay, so I am going to spoil this film, but it's been around since 1964, so go pause the podcast, go watch if you haven't seen it, and I'll see you in three hours. Okay, it's My Fair Lady. Oh, no! Okay, okay, I I adore this film. I adore it, too. It's so beautifully made. It's a wonderful musical. The acting's great, except Audrey Hepburn can't sing, but whatever. And, yeah, so I grew up with this movie. I adore it like I adore many musicals. And the ending sucked. So, as many of you know, it was based on a play by George Bernard Shaw called Pygmalion. And it was all about class and stratification in Britain at the time. 1910s, I think, is when it was written. And the ending to that play was actually quite realistic. 
She marries Freddie, who is this dude kind of hanging around her house the entire time in the musical, singing about the street where she lives. Kind of creepy, but whatever. Realistic ending. And she and Henry Higgins kind of part ways. All right. Perfect. Fabulous. It's good commentary. There you go. My Fair Lady, the movie, does not end, stage musical, does not end that way. So... The concept of this movie is that she is a cockney flower seller and Henry Higgins, played by Rex Harrison, is a linguist and he is going to teach her how to be a proper lady for the entire movie. So you get three hours of him tormenting her, basically. He is awful and she puts up with his crap, even though she actually never asked to be made into a lady, but whatever. So then at the end, she's mad at him for his usual crap and then... Runs off. But she's, like, standing up on her own. Yeah, and she's she's really becoming her own person. She's starting her own life. She's built up all these skills. She has so much strength. And then he sings, like, one song about how it's nice to have her around sometimes. And then she comes back, and he says yet another condescending thing to her. And then they embrace, and it's strongly implied that they're going to get together. Like, where are my slippers, I think yeah, it is, right? It's, yeah, he, he asks her to fetch his slippers, which I know this That's was 1964. I know this was a play based on 1910s. I'm not looking for anything super regressive, but this just feels false for what the movie's been building up to. It really does. Plus, we all know that um, Henry Higgins and Colonel Pickering were meant to be partners for life, but that's another story. On Films Fatale, since this won Best Picture, I've reviewed every Best Picture winner. I did give this a 5 out of 5. Mm -hmm. I will say this, though. I don't necessarily have a problem with the ending, but it does. Like, that final frame does linger with me. Not necessarily for bad reasons, but always... Look, the way I see it is Eliza Doolittle and uh, Henry Higgins, uh, you know, they have like this weird relationship where she Mm -hmm. clearly has self-confidence issues and wants to improve, but maybe not in his demeaning ways, not as like his experiment, but just because she wishes for a better life. Yeah, and this is all a bet, by the way. She's like the pawn in a bet. I feel like she has fully embraced being able to make her own choices. Mm -hmm. And I feel like perhaps they see each other as I'm going to be, I'm going to be crappy to you and you're going to be crappy to me. And that's that. I, I get that. I do wonder though, perhaps could it have ended differently? And with that in mind, I don't know if this will change how the film is for me because I do adore it. So I feel like I've got a bias. So please, Rachel, how should this have ended? Well, um, so I she has no money of her own. So I don't see it ending realistically with her unmarried or about to get married because it's 1910 and women can't get by like that. So I do see her, maybe not with Freddie, but moving on from Henry Higgins, probably marrying, pursuing her own interests, maybe doing charity and just using all these wonderful skills that she's built for herself. And then the ending would be her and Henry Higgins running into each other and being reconciled to each other. Not romantically, but just, okay, we changed each other's lives. That's great. And I mean, I know they had to adapt a stage musical, but at the same time, I think they could have tweaked the ending just a little bit, just to make it a bit less doormatty. I feel like that would be an interesting ending because you see three hours of them spending time together, 
learning each other's itches, learning each other's pet peeves. And then the whole thing is about building character. Henry Higgins wants to make himself like the great mastermind of his area. And Eliza Doolittle wants to live a different life. But meanwhile, they have different goals for each other. Like she wants to not necessarily succeed for him, but prove that she's her own woman. Meanwhile, he's trying to change her entire personality. So what would that look like if... They just don't see each other for for years, bump into each other, and it's like, I haven't assessed you. Mm -hmm. How do I feel about you as a person? That is interesting. I do like that. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that whiny guy Freddy can go away too, but that's just a bonus. (laughs) Fair enough. James, I'm guessing you have not seen it, and I guess you have no reason to now. Outside of the fact that I do love it, it's one of my favorite Showtime musicals. I'll get to it eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. It's three hours with, I believe, an intermission and overture. So, mm-hmm. And oh, wow. it really does have a lot of great stuff. We've just spent like 10 minutes trashing the ending, but it is worth a watch. It's one of my favorite musicals because it's uh, the idea that the human voice, just not as a, not as an instrument, but like just as a sound creator is also an instrument. The idea of vocalization and enunciation, I... I, I just think it's brilliant. It's one of my favorite uh, musicals of that nature. So, James, you're going to wrap things up for us by determining how you're going to wrap up another movie. So what did you select? I decided to go with 2016 Sausage Party. Oh, my. Oh, <laughs> how could... Okay. That's a stupid, fun movie. I don't know what ending could save this. Please. Okay. let's. Let, okay. A- explain your hypothesis. I'm interested. <laughs> this is my problem. Okay. I understand this is supposed to be a parody of Disney Pixar films, but I don't think Sorry. there's any instance where I think that anthropomorphic food should kill an entire store of humans and then celebrate by having an orgy. This is in 3D, no less. Yes, in 3D. Also, it ends with the realization that they're not real and their characters voiced by famous comedic actors. So they create a portal to go into the world to confront their creators. And this movie literally, after I saw this, I was like, I want my time back. I like, I never think that, but I'm like, can I just hit rewind and just unsee this movie? Because I just think, yeah, it's just and so it wasn't it wasn't the rest of it. It wasn't the anti-Semitic the anti-Semitic stuff. It wasn't the sexist stuff. It wasn't anything like that. I guess you wanted to see where it would go, and because it goes nowhere, it's like, what well, was the point? Yeah, because I get that humor is supposed to be edgy and like there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek stuff, and there's a lot of stuff that works for being an adult computer animated film. But just yeah. an ending like that, it's it's not even remotely parodying anything that you know the typical animated feature film does. Like what I would have done, I would have done something simple. Like they stumble upon a spaceship with other food creatures, and there's a planet of food people. That could have been fun, but to have it end this way, I was just like, no, no, this shouldn't have been allowed. Like it, it's it, weird. Yeah, and <laughs> it's also like Seth Rogen is so hit and miss for me. Like the yeah. stuff he and Evan Goldman do Gold, or Goldberg do, it's like super bad. I loved. And then the, it's, just it's like bring up, hit and miss with some of the other stuff they do, especially when they get with Judd Apatow. But I was just going to bring up uh, this is the end where I feel like for me, that one was the great idea that was just a completely missed opportunity. Like 
when they just toss in too much in the kitchen sink, like the camera from 127 hours where it's like, okay, you're not going to fully utilize the, the candid camera aspect. Okay. You know, going to heaven, singing Backstreet Boys songs. I get it. It's, it's like kind of jokes, but it's like, there's this huge meta commentary you can have here where it's a like Kirby enthusiasm or the Larry Saunders, the Larry Sanders show, people being themselves, but, but crappy versions of themselves. Honestly, why aren't you doing this better? Almost for that movie. The only highlight is Michael Sarah. Yeah. Yes. Just the over exaggerated, like awful Michael Sarah. Just just his delivery and comedic timing was perfect. I was like, okay, this is worth it. Just because it's like, you know, he's not like that. And it's already Michael Sarah is already like the, a meme that perfectly described him. He looks like someone who just happened to be near the set of super bad and just, they just like up. decided to <laughs> put him in the movie. I was like, yeah, that's that's what he kind of is. Yeah. 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 There's really no I mean, saving sausage party. I, I just wanted to bring it up because it's like it's one of those things. It's like, can you fix it? No. Like most of most movies, you can fix this one. Is just nope. It's a no for so me. I guess. Have them show up on another planet with yeah, like, uh, like other food beings. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I do. I do something like that because, or I would rather have them because there's a part where they realize if humans are high, they realize that they're you know beings. Oh. So actually, I got a pretty good one. What if they did like the live action thing, whatever, like that transformation, but somebody buys that package of hot dogs, but now it's like real life footage of like some kid eating the hot dogs. And it's like, boy, you don't know where that's been. No. <laughs> <laughs> that actually might be fun. <laughs> like, like, it's like, you never know where your food came from. That would be like the complete like twist ending where it's like, wait, this is like a moral message. <laughs> like, it could even be some kind this? of horrible parody of the perilous scenes in Toy Story. Four. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where it's like, this is what happens to your toys. This is what happens to your food. Except now this kid's eating the sausage, which just engaged in sexual activities with like five different condiments. Like, <laughs> there's something better. That's all we know. Yeah, it's. I'm sure there's a better way. I don't even know if I could come up with a good ending for this one. It's just one of those endings where I was <laughs> like, why? You could have. They had a good thing going. It's like it was a little bit too vulgar for my taste. And, and I like some pretty out there <laughs> stuff, but th- some of that stuff was just ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I, w- I will say this, though. Um, am I stupid or misinformed that I blind watched this with my mother in the theaters in 3D? <gasps> Very misinformed. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to be raunchy, but I didn't expect yeah, the food orgy well, in, in 3D with what? like stuff spraying on my face. Well, do you remember there was a whole controversy where they accidentally played that trailer before I think it was either before like Finding Dory or, or Finding Dory. Yeah. It, was it like Finding Dory happened. or was it like it was supposed to be Finding Dory and it ended up being that. And then there were kids <laughs> in the theater and they were like traumatized. It's like, uh, what's wrong with the hot dog bun? It doesn't look normal. It's like, what is this? <laughs> oh, God. Well, what we can do, though, is not determine how these movies end, but we could determine how this podcast ends. And we're going to do that with our weekly recommendations. First off, Rachel, give a shout out to our social media. Sure. So we are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook under the K-Cut. And you can find some of our writing at Films Fatale. We update with our new episodes every week. Don't forget to join us for our movie of the month, which is Under the Cherry Moon. And we'll be discussing that next week, actually. Fantastic. Okay, so let's do weekly recommendations. Okay, so maybe because I just did an on the day Thursday about this guy, maybe because he knows how to end things just like right on the button, like just no ribbons, 
no, you know, landing, anything. It just, his films just end exactly when they should. I'm going to go with a Robert Bresson film. I'm going to go with La Jean, his, uh, his 80s masterpiece. It's extremely short. There's like no credits. There's like no de-escalation. It just ends exactly as it should. It's a very brief film about the, in a symbolic way, almost like we were just discussing with Sausage Party and the food. Where did it come from? Where did the money come from? And all of the, the guilty transactions and ideas and things that brought the, the money around. And it's like, what greed does this deliver? What envy does this generate? I love Larjean. It's one of his, one of his opuses. And the guy made a bunch. Uh, James, what are you going to recommend? You know, I'm going to go with something classic. Let's go with David Lynch's The Elephant Man. Hey, I love that one. It's it's just a really good movie. There, there's nothing particularly special about it. It's just a great filmmaking. And it's also a more reserved David Lynch. I mean, it's got great a great performance by Anthony Hopkins. It's a great story about... Yeah, it's a great story about... Joseph Merrick or... Joseph yeah. Merrick, the actual Elephant Man. And I also liked how it ended, you know, speaking of good endings, you know, it was very subtle <laughs> and it's, it's really sad though, knowing what happened, but yeah. yeah, it was just really interesting. You know, you got really great performances, uh, great black and white cinematography. It's just a good example of classic filmmaking. You know, I recommend it to anybody who likes movies. I would have to disagree about it being like nothing special about it. It's one of the most inventive biopics I've ever seen. I think if you're looking for something that's not like cookie cutter biopic, this is like, this his uh, main street breakthrough for a reason. I adore the Elephant Man. Uh, Rachel, what are you gonna? Are you gonna end us with something that's like ends well as well? Actually, this one does end pretty well. It is a movie called Small Voices. It was the submission from the Philippines for the Academy Award for Best International Film in two thousand and two. Hmm. It's an inspirational teacher movie, but it's very sincere and it hits. Uh, I shouldn't say this because it's about a choir, but it hits all the right notes. <laughs> and it really earns its good ending. You really want to see these kids succeed. So I would absolutely recommend that. And I hope you can find it. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you so much, everyone, for, for listening to us. I uh, hope we ended well. If not, how would you change our ending? Well, it's a little too late for that. We're just going to end this way by uh, saying this is the K-Cut, and now we are going until the L-Cut. Cut.